Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a writer for the special without Brett Davis and the upcoming movie Curse of the Were-Deer. Plus, that's him on the drums for the Joe Bob theme. Jimmy Adamson is here. Welcome, Jimmy. Hi, George. How are you? Doing great. Very excited to talk about today's movie. Uh, likewise. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror in general? Okay, so when I was a little kid, I wasn't as big of a gore hound as some of my friends were. I was kind of uh, terrified of horror movies. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really start dabbling until my teens. I remember when I was probably 11, my, my sister showed me one of the Faces of Death movies, and that, uh, that scarred me. I couldn't, eat, sure. I couldn't eat peanut butter Captain Crunch for like five years after that. <laughs> yeah, so really, really in my teens is when I really started getting, getting into it. I discovered the misfits that, you know, around 13 or 14. And that was kind of my gateway into checking out the horror stuff. So nice. Yeah, that's interesting. I think you're probably our first person who had music be a big influence on it. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. What what drew you then? Was it the iconography? Like uh, just the music in general? Yeah, the whole package. I like the juxtaposition of how scary and evil they looked and how their content was, you know, pretty violent and brutal and then they had these yeah. really sweet pretty melodies and very catchy songwriting so absolutely absolutely do you have a favorite subgenre within horror oh um not really i don't know i like slasher movies i like i like oh, yeah. i like them all <laughs> <laughs> i will say though when i was um eight years old my mom bought me misery on vhs and that was like my favorite movie i don't know if that's horror or what what that's thriller or suspense but i kind of grab I, mean, I consider it horror okay good yeah so i kind of gravitated towards that stuff until i developed the stomach for the uh you know the gory slasher stuff well that's a that's a good one to start working on your nerve with because you know you get that hobbling scene <laughs> <laughs> but the movie we're talking about today is the toxic avenger a staple of cult filmdom and crown jewel of tromaville You've actually worked on some trauma stuff yourself, including Shakespeare Shitstorm, which I enjoyed. Where did the introduction to trauma stuff come from in general? Okay, so that's going back to when I was a kid as well. I really loved the Toxic Crusaders cartoon when I was about seven or eight. Um, I didn't know what trauma was at the time. But I was at the video store one day with my grandma, Dorothy, and I saw the Toxic Avenger on the shelf. And I was like, oh, it's Toxie. He has a movie. This is going to be great. <laughs> my grandma, Dorothy, rented it for me. And we came back to her house. She went upstairs to take a nap. So I was in the living room all alone. And I popped the Toxic Avenger into the uh, VCR. And I made it about five or ten minutes, like not even past the (laughs) health clubs the first health club scene and uh i was sick to my stomach just based on the language alone (laughs) and i uh i I turned it off and took it out of the vcr and was shaken to the core and i kind of you know forgot about it and anyways later later that night i was upstairs in my room or whatever like thinking about this movie all day like the guilt of having watch something so forbidden <laughs> and if my grandma and my parents found out how, how big of trouble i'd get in and i didn't even make it to the head crushing scene right there's like no <laughs> no physical violence at all and i remember i heard my whole family watching a movie in the living room and i was like oh no and i came out they know they know they know my shame and i came out and i just like peeked and there's a bunch of on the screen there's a bunch of guys in hazmat suits like fighting somebody i was like they're watching the toxic avenger they know what i saw i'm gonna be in so much trouble and i head back in my room uh, only later to discover that they were actually watching uh that charlie sheen emilio estevez movie men at work wow exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) um so that was my introduction to trauma and um it sickened me and i did not revisit toxic avenger until i was about 14 or 15 wow and then i loved it I feel like trauma wouldn't have it any other way to sicken you at first and then and then lure you over. Yep. This is a New Jersey hero filmed partially in Paramus, which is right around the corner from where I grew up. Okay. Nice to finally have some representation in the form of Toxie. Yes. 
It also filmed partly in Jersey City, which is my neighbor. I'm in Bayonne, so. There we go. Yeah, yep. so. It was our connection. <laughs> my introduction was actually through Toxic Avenger, the musical. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, my brother. So because we were pretty close in New York City, we wound up going to a fairly sizable amount of like theater productions and stuff, especially off-Broadway stuff. And so for one of my birthdays, my brother took me to see the Toxic Avenger musical. We sat in the splash zone. Wow. <laughs> because, of course, there was a splash zone for Toxic Avenger the musical. How would you do it any other way? Right. And it was just a, a damn hoot. I had a great time. It's a lot of fun music. And I think that the musical does a great job of kind of carrying the spirit of trauma forward into, <laughs> into maybe an audience that wouldn't necessarily be expecting it right. as much. And... It did a great job, and it kind of stuck with me throughout like high school and college, where I was like, "This is such a fun idea," but I was, I was like, I knew that it was still a horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And, bef- and, and before I was um, like super into horror, it still had this kind of like appeal to me of being like, I think I could probably get through it because it's a comedy and and it's got you know the tongue in cheek kind of attitude about its gore. Right. And uh, I basically loved it. I When I finally experienced the, the actual series for the first time, I thought it was super fun. Um, Citizen Toxie, the fourth one, <laughs> I'm a big fan of. Um, and it was funny, too, because, uh, you know... I was when I went to go see Into the Spider Verse and all of uh, all these multiverse movies and everything. Now I'm like, Citizen Toxie is way ahead of this. Yeah, dude, that's way ahead of the curve. And of course, uh, once you watch Citizen Toxie, you can't see Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD and not be like, well, I got to watch his movie as well. <laughs> Citizen Toxie, I, I remember I saw when it came out and. I don't know if I just was in the mood. I didn't love it. And I watched it. I revisited it again, like maybe six or seven years ago. And I absolutely loved it. So, yeah, it's a fun one. It's a really fun one. Yeah, it's insane. There are, of course, also the Shakespeare things, which people can imagine. That's right up my alley. I think Shakespeare in general really lends itself to the trauma style because it is full of dumb sex jokes and stuff like that is the Shakespeare style. And I think Tromeo and Juliet is great. Shakespeare Shitstorm was great. I think they they both uh, are, are a super fun time and a great way to, uh, you know, shake up the old stodgy Shakespeare, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sh- uh, shake up is an understatement, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I loved, actually, Tromeo and Juliet. When I saw that, I was like full into trauma after that because I'd seen Toxic Avenger and I, I love that movie, but Tromeo and Juliet really. So I'm a, I'm a little bit older. So yeah, I, I did see Tromeo and Juliet when it came out. We, uh, me and my buddies worked at Hollywood Video, so we just, you know, took every, sure. everything we wanted. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's a lot of fun. And, and then, of course, you get stuff like Blades. You know, trauma has really covered the gamut in terms of uh, uh, fun stuff. So. It's interesting that even within the idea of what people think trauma is, I think that there is a, a lot of wiggle room. For sure. Absolutely. For people who don't know, Troma is a production company started by Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Herz. And from the beginning, it has worked in a very John Waters or Andy Warhol with the Warhol superstars at the factory way, where they tend to use the same cast of people that are, shall we say, underappreciated. They co-directed this and many others, and Lloyd said, the only co-directing team that compares is Powell and Pressburger, but our movies are better. (laughs) (laughs) They also have three simple rules of production. Safety to humans, safety to property, and then in smaller print, make a good movie. (laughs) That's right. That's perfect. I think, you know, that's that's really uh, the core tenets of, of what freedom of creativity is all about, you know? Just keeping these three things in mind and then kind of being willing to throw the rest of the rules to the curb. Yep, 100%. And uh, safety to humans is, as I'm sure you've researched, the making of Toxic Avenger. Um, that was used kind of loosely, too, I think. <laughs> like There's a couple close calls on that one. Right, right. And Trauma had already made a bunch of like sex romp slapstick movies that were successful, although it is also worth noting that Lloyd and Trauma assisted with the Louis Mal uh, My Dinner with Andre which is, in my opinion, maybe the funniest possible answer to what's your favorite trauma movie. (laughs) But then major studios started following suit. And as Lloyd said, they played unfair by using good scripts and good actors. (laughs) (laughs) So when they saw a headline in Variety that said horror movies are no longer economically viable, he said, aha, time to make a horror movie. (laughs) Yeah. 
And uh, he also said that they specifically wanted to make a horror movie where the monster lived, unlike Frankenstein. He also, as many did, uh, used to get a lot of newsletters and stuff in the 70s and 80s that insisted chemical waste sites were a ticking time bomb. Specific examples that he pointed out were uh, hospital radium, which was being played with by kids in dumps who thought it was pixie dust. Uh, He also pointed out the book Silent Spring, which is about the use of pesticides like DDT. And the poisoning of the earth, he felt, was an interesting counterpoint to the, quote, body beautiful health club and aerobics fads that had emerged. So they came up with health club horror. And uh, and then that kind of degenerated into the Toxic Avenger because Lloydy just could not resist getting the jokes in there. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that they didn't have the name until after the movie was finished, which is why the shirts and everything just say the monster hero. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that until um, the only thing I have from my childhood is a stuffed dog that I got when I was a little kid and... Lloyd's book, what is it? Everything I know about filmmaking I learned from making the Toxic Avenger. I didn't realize that they didn't have the name until the, the they're in the editing room. Yeah. Which is amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, we gotta <laughs> we gotta actually have a name for this thing. Yeah. I think look, simple to the point. Toxic Avenger captures the imagination. Toxie, great abbreviation. What more could you ask for? I wouldn't dream of asking for more. <laughs> That's why we're talking about it today. So true. Lloyd also said something really interesting during the commentary where he pointed out the yin and yang balance of Toxie, who is both tender and bone crushing, a muscular symbol of power, but also a disfigured pariah. And he said, no matter how much attention he gets or good that he does, he'll always be an outsider on some level. And in this way is representative of trauma at large. Yes. Hmm. Very, <laughs> very interesting. <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was a really great point. It really, I think, contextualizes the movie in a really interesting way where it does kind of feel like you can see why Toxie became so emblematic of trauma and why it became the thing that people connect with as a great way in. And, and it is a, a very hopeful and very cheerful, and he is uh, loving to and doting on his mother and girlfriend and everything. There is a, a certain emotional tenderness to the Toxic Avenger that I think is not there in a lot of superhero movies or horror movies. Yeah, I, I think that's why it works so well, is it's vicious and violent, but Toxie has such a big heart that you just can't help but fall in love with him. That's right. Same with Trauma. Exactly. You have to kind of look past the shock humor and stuff. That's that's what it's all about. You get disgusted at first by the visage of Toxie, <laughs> and then uh, and then you say, "Oh, he's actually a sweet guy." Yeah, and Lloyd Kaufman too. Lloyd Kaufman is Toxie, basically. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Also, I gotta say that just the commentary on this movie was so fascinating, yeah. and it was just Lloyd talking for the entire thing. He didn't have anyone to go off of, and the fact that he, first of all. The whole like the, he would maintained talking the entire movie, which was incredible. <laughs> but also, it was it was just consistently fascinating and uh, intelligent conversation about what was happening, and and it was just really great stuff. So, uh, if people are interested in hearing the commentary, I highly recommend it, which is on their streaming site. I know a lot of places do not offer this, and I was really stoked to see that they did. Yeah, I never. I it was my first time watching with the commentary. I watched it just. As a normal movie, I watched it with my 10-year-old son, actually. It was his first time seeing it. Nice. And then I watched it again with the commentary. And, uh, yeah, he does not stop talking. And it's, <laughs> it's you don't want him to because it's all fascinating stuff. So Our hero is played by three people. Melvin is Mark Torgel. And when he becomes Toxie, the voice is Kenneth Kessler. And the bod is Mitch Cohen. We also have Andre Miranda, who plays Sarah, the blind love interest. And Pat Ryan Jr. as Mayor Belgoody. Who is, I mean, he does just a fantastic job with a very tiny part. You know, it's funny that he's always eating when he's on screen because my dude is also chewing the damn scenery. <laughs> yes. And our gang of bullies is Gary Schneider as Bozo, Robert Pritchard as Slug, Jennifer Baptiste as Wanda, and Cindy Mannion as Julie. Lloyd was also very complimentary about the actors, especially Mark Torgel and Cindy Mannion. He said that she really gave 100% of her body and soul to the movie, which I thought was a very nice uh, thing to say. Yeah, for sure. It's also, I thought, very funny to be watching this movie and have Lloyd go, of course, the blind love interest is a reference to the 1931 silent Charlie Chaplin movie, City Lights. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who doesn't make that connection? (laughs) 
I feel like there is an expectation of haphazardness and, and things just getting thrown together that is belied by the intentionality that Lloyd seems to be coming into this stuff with. You know, he talks about the Preston Sturgis hail the conquering hero and, and that sort of small town satire and the characters within them who are uh, sort of warm tongue in cheek sort of poking fun at, at the characters that tend to be in these small towns. I think that Tromaville in general, as it's persisted all uh, through the years, is sort of linking to that heritage. And, and I think it's it's great. And, and uh, it was very interesting, again, to hear him point this out. Yeah, Lloyd is, um, you know, above all, he's really a genius. And it, it's not all just shock and um, trying to be offensive. Like, he, he's a very intelligent man, so. Yeah. They also had a lot of trouble with the MPAA when they were making this movie, as you might expect. Um, I thought that there was another great point where he talks about the way that the MPAA is sort of unfair towards independent cinema because it's a lot more difficult for them to have to make the edits and work around the cuts that they probably wouldn't even ask a larger budget movie to make. Like the grandmother getting punched (laughs) is one one of the scenes that they point out where it's like, come on, it's so over the top and clearly meant to be like funny that, uh, it just feels like an, an insane thing to ask them to cut as like something to get to an R rating. Yeah, like it's not even it's not even to like go for a PG thirteen. They're going for an R, right? <laughs> They're like you have to cut this lady getting punched in the stomach. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's very cartoonish. So I don't. They're just you know being nitpicky, I guess. But yeah, and they they cut over ten minutes worth of stuff, uh, which is crazy. It's not that long of a movie to start with. <laughs> Yeah, what is it, like 80 minutes or? Yeah. Yeah. And I know that I normally read Ebert reviews on here, but Leonard Maltin's really made me laugh where he gave it a pretty positive 2.5 and said, not without violence and gore, but still entertaining. Like, that's not like, that's what's holding it back. It's like, like, okay, Len, I think you're missing what's bringing people to the movie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious to know what you think about the remake. You know, it seems like a Hollywood remake is kind of antithetical to the whole idea, but if anyone can do it, feels like this might be the bunch to me. You know, Macon Blair was announced to write and direct the upcoming reboot. Peter Dinklage is going to star. Kevin Bacon, Julia Davis, and Elijah Wood are also attached. It's like, well, I don't necessarily want them to do it, but if they're gonna, maybe this is the right group. Yeah, I have the same exact perspective. I would never be excited about pretty much any remake. (laughs) But from what I'm hearing, they're treating it with respect. And I don't know if this is confidential information, but Lloyd himself has given it his seal of approval. So Wow. Yep. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. And he'll let you know if he doesn't like it. So, (laughs) Well, that's really good to hear then. (laughs) (laughs) To get into the actual movie, starts off right away with a warning for extreme violence, which... Great start. Let you know right away. Yep. And it transitions from the New York skyline to humble New Jersey, taken off course from its origins as the Garden State to a pollution receptacle. <laughs> <laughs> it's established as just the cost of doing business today. And the narrator tells us that Tromaville is the toxic chemical dumping capital of the world. And they're going to tell us the story of a man whose life was changed by chemical waste. Melvin Ferd Junko the third. He works at the Tromaville Health Club, full of hunks and babes all getting their sweat on. Uh, Lots of focus on boobs and butts, ladies and dudes. Equal opportunity, yeah. Equal opportunity, butts. And the problem is that every now and then, this ambiance is shattered by the appearance of a damn nerd. (laughs) And Melvin is one of these nerds. He's described as 90 pounds uh, of nerd, I believe, is is the slogan. And, um, you know, it's, it's so funny to just have it be like... You know, some of these movies are so great at just setting up the atmosphere and environment. You know, I think Chopping Mall is one that Mm -hmm. does a really great job of sort of hitting that sort of glamour of the 80s kind of thing. And I think that this also does a really good job of, uh, obviously, it's setting it up for satire, but does a really great job of establishing that, like, listen to your body talk kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Great song, by the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the cool crew, Bozo, Julian, Slug, and Wanda, are pissed at Melvin for being dumb and happy, and my dude's just trying to live. Yeah, I love that one of Bozo's main complaints is he can't even mop right. 
<laughs> to be fair, he can't even mop, right? <laughs> I'm a, yeah, I'm with Bozo on this one. <laughs> and his mopping takes him near them, and their mocking gets real close to murdering when he sticks the mop in their jacuzzi. Uh, I love Slug repeating everything. Great second-in-command behavior. Yep, perfect. <laughs> but it also just cracks me up how on edge Bozo is. Like, this dude is tearing out his hair from the word go. <laughs> it is such a great performance. Yep, and uh, I think it's one of the main things that s- scared me when I was eight years old was <laughs> how angry Bozo was about this guy who can't operate. It really is so funny. He is, like, purple. He is convalescing <laughs> with anger. <laughs> And truly, you know, like he stuck the mop in, but even before that happens, he is truly on edge. It is so funny. Yeah, he's on 11 the the entire movie. (laughs) Yeah. Julie is great too, though, you know, Mm -hmm. and she says, How dare you talk to me, you twerp? (laughs) (laughs) And you stressed bozo. (laughs) Slug and Wanda sneak off to the locker room where a clipped newspaper story in in his locker and their conversation reveal that the group has a hobby of hit-and-run murders. You know, classic hobby. Yeah, that's what I did when I I was a kid. (laughs) It's funny to hear them talk and be like, they never believe we're going to run them down. (laughs) (laughs) Lloyd said that this was based on a story in the New York Post, and so there is an element of truth to it, or ostensibly, you know, the New York Post is, uh, let's say, prone to exaggeration. Yeah, that's why we love it. (laughs) And um, these two actually met on this movie and got married. Which I thought was a fun little uh, little thing he said in there. I, I read that. I also, I don't know if you, you saw this too, but Lloyd also said it was um, inspired by him actually hitting his four-year-old sister with a car <laughs> when he was 14. <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, or she just lay there flat for a second. He thought she was dead and then she got up and went <laughs> in the house. <laughs> They're reminiscing, gets them hot. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and they start having sex on the bench. But Melvin sees them, and he starts giggling, which gets their attention. And when they look up, the funniest freakout I've ever seen. <laughs> his, his little, like, jitter of, like, oh, no, they saw me uh, is so funny. And then she threatens to kill him, whips out a knife. Yeah, I'll kill you. Switchblade. <laughs> <laughs> so he runs off because, sure, I would too. That night, the gang is all speeding along, and Julie recites the rules to the murder game, uh, in which most minorities are worth 25, but Puerto Ricans are worth a little extra, and kids under 12 are worth double. Cut to sitcom music as a kid straps on his helmet, takes off on that bike, and his mom warns him to be careful. I'm sure he'll be fine, right? Oh, yeah. No, uh, no foreshadowing or... Anything there? No, no. It'll be all right. Oh, wait. Actually, yes, because this particular kid is worth 28 points. <laughs> 20, 28 <laughs> points. I like that number. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. And so Bozo takes him out. Or does he? <laughs> the kid is still moving. And so they're like, oh, you don't get any points for that. So Bozo reverses and crushes his head, thus reclaiming his points. And the gals get out to take pictures of the corpse. First of all, crushing head. Fantastic. Yeah. Cranberry and a cantaloupe, he said. I also laughed when he said, this was not well received. <laughs> uh, he was telling this story about how, like, some of, some of the people who were coming to the, one of the first screenings, like, brought their kid. And he was like, you know, maybe this isn't for kids, especially if you don't know, like, what you're getting into. And the guy was like, no, no, he can handle it. He can handle it. And then this kid gets his head crushed, and they got up and left. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said by the end of the movie, there's maybe a third of the audience left with that first screening. Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a a great double punch because the head crushing is so funny and gross and and grody. (laughs) But then they really like luxuriate in it where they like get out and take pictures of it. And they're like, wow, we did a really fucking good job. (laughs) Yeah. They're really (laughs) celebrating and uh, milking every, every second of, Uh, crushing this 12-year-old kid's head. Exactly. And Bozo wants to do it again, but Slug has to go home so he can get to church tomorrow Mm -hmm. morning. And they all owe an understanding. Yes, beautiful (laughs) moment. I have to highlight that this was my 10-year-old son's favorite part of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, clearly you're giving him good taste. You're instilling the proper values in it. Yeah, I'm a good, good parent. 
Slug puts a snake down the aerobics instructor's shirt, apropos of nothing, and he just he had just finished telling them all to do exactly what he did, ladies, and so they all start squirming around on the floor. And this is kind of what's nice about the movie being a labor of love and sort of independent, where this is the kind of scene where maybe it doesn't necessarily do anything to move the movie forward, but it's fun, and I like seeing it, and doesn't that make it just as important? Yeah, 100%. And it just coming off that, you know, horrifically violent scene to see a bunch right. of people <laughs> wiggling around in, a, uh, in an aerobics class is, you know, it's a little uh, palate cleanser. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot of fun. And it's the kind of thing where you could easily see some notes coming in being like, maybe excise this one. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, for me, it really works mm-hmm. as, as, like you said, just like a nice little palate cleanser scene. And Melvin watches the bullies play squash. But Bozo notices and freaks out, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Julie comes up with a plan to fix his wagon. And she seduces him into the girls' locker room at 7 o'clock. Very funny when he's like, oh, that's a good time for me, too, because I have to clean the toilets in there around <laughs> then. <laughs> and a flatbed truck with a load of chemical waste is rolling through town. Yes. I cancerogenic is so funny. What a great fake dumb guy word because to even mistakenly get close to carcinogenic is pretty good. Yeah, 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 100%. (laughs) The boiling, nasty sludge is, of course, fantastic looking. It is disgusting. Uh, They said it was made with agar-agar, a seaweed-based gelatin that they spent a lot of time boiling up in that health club. I mean, boy, it looks just fantastic. Yeah, it's it really pops on camera for sure. Yeah, it's green and it's gross. Yep. And that's that's some toxic sludge, baby. It works. They pull over in front of the health club to do a ton of coke. <laughs> yeah, their faces are entirely covered in cocaine. <laughs> that's how that's how that's what I look like when I do coke, so authentic. <laughs> it's just literally like a gallon Ziploc that they just shove their faces in. And Melvin goes looking for Julie, who says, oh, man, I'm sick of buff bullies. And if you put on this crazy pink polka dot tutu, hubba hubba, I'll have sex with you by the pool. And also, don't forget your mop. I mean, what's what's a Melvin to do but eagerly acquiesce? I love that he says, this is sissy stuff. Well, he's he quickly changes he his quickly mind. Change, he goes, yep. uh-uh, pink is fucking cool, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He does a, a nice little uh, strut when he when he comes out in it, which is really fun. And he said this was inspired by uh, Jacques Dambois, who founded the National Dance Institute in New York, and their efforts to teach ballet as a form of athletics to a melting pot of classes and cultures has had some pro bono documentary work covering it done by Troma. Oh, wow. all right. Imagine that. There you go. Yeah, he said that's why they uh, felt like uh, putting in the ballet stuff. They said, hey. Ballet is fun. Give it to the superhero. Perfect. He enters the pool, but it's pitch black. And uh, she goes, Melvin, my lips are waiting for you. Smoochy, smoochy. <laughs> <laughs> when he says, Julie, you're so soft is hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the lights go on and it's actually a sheep with a wig and a bikini and makeup on. And a ton of people are there and they laugh at him. Yeah, they love it. They love it so much, and uh, it's funny that he's like kind of like a foot away from the like face of the sheep. And in the commentary, Lloyd was like, "I was really mad because I told him to keep like I wanted him to really kiss that sheep." And then afterward, he was like, "That thing was covered in bugs." <laughs> <laughs> They're laughing, chases him out a out a damn window, Hachimachi. An amazing stunt. You can't you can't even tell that it's a stunt double. It's a stunt double. I've stopped us. Spoilers. Wow, you've really shattered the illusion yes, for me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny. I mean, it's clearly someone else jumping out of the window. It's framed for comedic intent that that it's clearly someone else. Yeah, and it works. It's very funny. It's a great joke, and uh, it's also funny. Well, first of all, Marissa Tomei is also in this scene very briefly. That's right. Which <laughs> you know, one of many people who got their start in trauma. Vincent D'Onofrio uh, is in there, and like we said, Tromeo and Juliet is uh, of course James Gunn. Of course. I actually just read that right before we started this that I've never heard Lloyd talk about this, but it, on uh, IMDb it said Vincent D'Onofrio was actually supposed to play Bozo. Wow. But he wanted, Imagine that. He wanted too much money. Wow. Well, Vinny D, guy get paid. Yep. 
Well, you <laughs> see where his, his career went. You mean he's kicking himself. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard anything about him in a while. <laughs> it's funny. You know, it's the kind of thing where it's like, well, that probably would have been fun. But it's also kind of hard to imagine anyone else taking the role now at this point. <laughs> yeah. Bozo. Uh, what's Gary Schneider? Or right. Schneider? He's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I also loved this. My final little point about him jumping out the window is I think it's very funny that he dives perfectly into one of the vats of toxic sludge. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect 10. Yeah. It's like a carnival game where it's like, you're trying to like throw the tiny hoop onto the milk jug and boy, he just swings right in there. Nothing but net. (laughs) The worst swish of his life though, (laughs) because he starts to roll on the floor and everyone runs down to laugh at him some more. But suddenly he starts smoking and melting. Mm -hmm. And I love Bozo's line of, he's faking it. (laughs) And then, (laughs) which, first of all, very obvious that he's not. (laughs) But then also, for him to be like, and and even if it's not fake, if he can't take a joke, then he stinks. (laughs) Then he stinks, yeah. (laughs) And Melvin is just screaming in flesh-melting agony on the floor in front of him. He's like, oh, he's faking it. Yeah, harmless joke. (laughs) What a, yeah. The cops show up, and one of them touches Melvin, and his hands immediately ignite. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful, and then Melvin himself completely immolates and runs home to his bathroom. This was apparently also a big one with the MPAA, where you couldn't have a burning person in it and get it a get a rating R. So they had to cut that shot, which is insane. I mean, it's such a beautiful, so funny to see this guy just running down the street for so long. <laughs> Oh, so that's not in the rated R version. Right. Oh, okay. Hard to believe. Why even bother at that point? Yeah, just uh, scrap the whole movie. He um, looks to be in bad shape, we'll say, as his hair falls out <laughs> and, and his body distorts and balloons and pus and blood and goo erupt. Uh, on the one hand, he's buff as hell now as he takes his form as the Toxic Avenger. So that's that's at least the one thing he's got going for. Yeah, he's looking good. <laughs> looking like a snack. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Four hours every day to put on the appliances for the head. (laughs) Yeah, that's um, dedication. Yep. Yeah, they said that they, as they moved on, they started making like a a one-piece mask that they could pull on. But uh, for this one, it was was several pieces, and he couldn't eat through it. So he had to drink a lot of uh, of liquid lunches, he said. Yeah, 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 through a straw. Also, Toxie's mom thinks the moans of pain is him jerking off, which uh, finally hit puberty, she <laughs> says. Just a very funny little, uh, like, throwaway line. Just, the, again, yeah. clear, like, the agony that he's clearly in. Like, even if that was him jerking off, there is still something terribly wrong happening. <laughs> yeah, I would still uh, maybe call a uh, doctor about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A group of thugs are discussing their plans to finally own the whole town by getting Clancy, the last cop who isn't on the payroll, to take a bribe. He refuses, of course. Yep, can't buy him. And uh, they kick the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, they really beat his ass. They really do, and they're about to shoot his damn dick off, <laughs> RoboCop style. <laughs> when finally the Toxic Avenger arrives to save the day, he rips the wigs off the bad guys, which is very funny. Yes. <laughs> And then he makes the rounds. He uh, uses the the main guy as a speed bag, and he punches the nose into the brain of the second one, and then pokes out the eyes of the third, and just some generally interesting filmmaking from this moment, where Lloyd talks about how if you pretend to poke out someone's eyes and you fuck up, uh, you could actually poke someone's eyes out. Right. And so what they did is you put the camera upside down and then have someone put their fingers in the eyes and do the backwards or the action backwards. So it looks perfect when it's reversed in the processing. Like simple. And it does look perfect. It's a yeah. beautiful uh, effect. Definitely. Uh, nice and simple. And uh, and that's that's uh, practical movie making, baby. Yep. I have a question for you. Yeah. I don't know if you know anything about this. When Officer Clancy's watching Toxie beat the bad guy's asses. Mm-hmm. He goes into this little monologue. Did you catch that? The O'Shaughnessy boy back from school. Oh, no, it could be him, right? Doesn't he say that? Yeah, what? Do you know what that's from? I think that that is, again, sort of this, like, hail the conquering hero thing where they, like, assume that it's, oh, this, it must be this great war hero. Like, he must have come back and, and been a great hero. Like, he, he has to just have some kind of narrative to explain who this is. I don't know. I, I, that, that was just how I took it. It was just like, again, sort of a throwback to that style of uh, small town guy. All right. That make, you answered my question. Thank you. There we go. 
he goes back to the first guy and uses his nuts as a speed bag and, <laughs> and then slams the other two's heads together so hard that it exposes their brains. Disgusting. <laughs> and finally, he mops the dummies to death. Except the first one who runs off swearing revenge in a high-pitched voice. Great <laughs> final little gag as he gets off there. It's a very fun first fight scene. A great introduction to the power of Toxie. Yeah, and the choreography is really good. Yeah. like It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's exceptional. The cop gets sent on his way, and he gets questioned by the press at the station, and the story uh, hits the presses. And Mayor Peter Belgoody, running for re-election... Talks with the police chief. Uh, I love his buddy's comb over. The least effective, oh. tiniest wisp of hair. It's disgusting. <laughs> he thinks uh, the mops used to kill the mobsters are a political statement because he is corrupt as hell. Yes. And his chief of police is a Nazi. Yes. Says, yeah. Apparently a Nazi. He's scheming, though. Uh, in addition to the protection money they're already getting, he wants to move the current toxic waste dump because it's located on valuable waterfront property to 20 feet from the reservoir. <laughs> Makes sense. Of course. You got to sell, 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 baby. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this current dump is also where Melvin sadly makes a little home for himself after his mom screams in terror at the sight of him. And one of my favorite moments in this whole movie is when he just takes a moment to pensively sit and stare out at the Atlantic. <laughs> Like he really thinks, like, all right, what do I do next? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really at a low point here. But I also enjoyed the New York Post that they had there as well, perfectly positioned so we can read the headline, Top Pauls Taped at Sex Parties. Yeah, brilliant. He said that this particular aspect of the storyline was based on the U.S. Open and the way that it took a bunch of parkland and converted it to the tennis courts for the pleasure of the power elite. Mm. Uh, when it used to be uh, a widely accessible free for all park, mm -hmm. so uh, you know they 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 gotta take and take and take. Yeah, Lloyd hates the power elite. It's true. He says that he thinks that this really sums up the movie. Uh, this and also when they are, he's like walking through toxic sludge and he sees like a non biodegradable McDonald's cup and uh, Richard Nixon's book. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he said this is this shot really sums up the movie. Right. Meanwhile, the town's youths are partying it up at the Mexican place, <laughs> which is a, a place with both sombreros and katanas up on the wall. Yeah, because well, why not? Fantastic decor. I would do it, too, if I had a restaurant. <laughs> and Leroy, Rico, and Frank, who look like a gang from the Warriors, hold <laughs> the place uh, up. These guys are bad news. They sure are. This, the dude with the uh, the like painted face is like such a weird choice, but I really love that he like went for it. He's like, this is going to be my disguise. I don't need a mask. I need to paint half my face. <laughs> I think I thought that was uh, Billy Zane when I was younger. It looks like it him. Does, right? <laughs> yes. It's definitely not him, but. I mean, look, he's, he's getting his Demon Knight sort of uh, oh. vibes going. Yep. Sniper. Exactly. <laughs> It starts off with them just shoving a shotgun in the face of an infant, which really made me laugh. Just really getting off to a good foot there. <laughs> when someone tries to stop them from harassing a younger woman, he gets blown the hell away. And apparently this guy uh, who has his face painted was so upset by pointing a gun at the baby that he quit. I read that. Yeah. <laughs> Although the mother was fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> and ain't that, ain't that always the way showbiz parents are? <laughs> And Frank intends to rape one of the patrons, a blind lady who's seeing eye dog they just shot named Sarah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, not the dog. The dog is named Carrie. The lady is named Sarah. Yes. But he's stopped by Toxie, who just comes running in, baby. Yeah. He's, he's drawn by the power of evil. And there's a huge fight scene. The highlights include ripping Frank's arm off and beating him with it, which is <laughs> incredible. <laughs> I've seen this movie, you know, over a dozen times, I did not realize until this last two viewings that Frank actually only has one arm. Right. <laughs> yeah. I never noticed he has a fake arm before Toxie tears it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he said that they, they got someone who is an actual amputee so that they could make this. And the effects team got a little carried away because they 
he has just like his normal stump and then they made like a fake prosthetic one mm-hmm. that had like spaghetti hanging out and stuff. <laughs> Leroy gets made into a milkshake and Rico, who got to use several fun weapons, including nunchucks, mm-hmm. gets trapped in the fryer with his hand shoved in. Hard to say who gets it the worst. That milkshaking looks really terrible, though, because he, like, drowns him in materials first. Yeah, he's, like, really choking on that milk. Yeah, the milk, the whipped cream. I mean, uh-huh. it's uh, it's intense. Yeah. This is, again, a moment where he sort of mentions that this is an homage to sort of uh, the elder, elder statesman of horror, Hitchcock, using the benign items like this as vehicles for death is what he said that he was sort of going for. Mm-hmm. And it looks great. The fryer is, is a lot of fun. He also, he, I, he pointed it out, and then I went back and looked, and he's, I mean, it's so funny that he's right, but it's just, like, a shot of the fryer boiling. Like, his hands are clearly not in it, but, like, you see his hands get put into, like, the not boiling oil, uh-huh. and then when it's actually, ro- like, rolling, you're like, oh, my God, but there's clearly no hands in there. Yeah, and you, you don't care because you see his reaction, you saw the hands go in, and it's just so quick. Power of editing, baby. Snappy. and Toxie comforts Sarah who asks him to navigate her home since she no longer has Carrie and she has like about a billion canes that fall over (laughs) 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 but when she asks to see his face he refuses he lets her read his palm though and she accidentally big air quotes I'm doing here uh, gets a grab of his penis too yep oops the staff of the restaurant tells everybody, including some cops who are all eating. This the fe- the cops all eating during this scene <laughs> was like such a funny non sequitur. Yeah. It really uh, tickled me. Uh huh. It works. They tell him about the hero monster that saved them. So the press conference consults an expert, Doctor Merton Snodberger from the Garden State Cerebral Reflex Research Center. What a prestigious, yeah. <laughs> prestigious institution. Yep. He only attacks bad people, says Snodberger driven by a primal instinct to destroy evil. (laughs) I literally, out loud, went, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love all this exposition right here. It's very funny. Yeah. Back at the club, drug deals are going down, and the gals are looking at the photos, and the mayor is being generally gluttonous. Mm -hmm. And the gym employees who have been selling the drugs gets his workout interrupted by Toxie. And I like that everyone is screaming and he just doesn't move at all. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm getting my pump on. I don't care what everyone else is dealing with. Mm-hmm. But it's just a really great kill. This is a really spectacular looking one. The drop down weight smashes off the top of his head. And then what really makes it sing for me is that you get a great look at the grody remnants still moving around and like clutching at their head. Yeah, it's disgusting. It sure is. And they really build it, it sure up is. with the... Um, you know, cutting from the, the weight machine to the face, the weight machine to the face. It's yeah. very effective. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I think that this is one of the more empathetic kills in that it's a, a little more hard to imagine yourself getting murdered by a ice cream blender. But, you know, a lot of us have been in a gym and been like, wow, that's kind of scary to imagine like a hand or something getting stuck in its weightlifting machines. Yeah. I think this is one of the ones where it's very easy to imagine yourself in the in the position and it really gives it an extra charge. For sure. In the sauna, Wanda is starting to frig herself to the photos of the smashed heads when she also gets interrupted by Toxie. This dude just loves stopping people in mid-action. <laughs> Even when he was Melvin. Sex, workouts, you name it, he'll interrupt you. Yep, for sure. Toxie drops her butt first on the sauna rocks, which is, I guess it kills her. Yeah, well, how did that kill? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> may- scorched, scorched butt. Definitely send her to the hospital, look. <laughs> It cuts from that to Toxie peeing just the thickest green sludge <laughs> in an alley. <laughs> It is disgusting. This is also the first time we hear Toxie's other voice, right? When he puts her on the the hot the hot rocks. Does, uh, does he say something, or does he's, he just kind of go? This will teach you a lesson, hot ass, or something. There you, go. there you go. They do kind of an interesting thing where they hold back some of the reveals. Like uh, Toxie's face is not immediately shown or anything. Similarly, his voice is not uh, immediately apparent, and so. 
the voice, I think, being like an insi- a sign of just the fact that there is like a person in there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's not just like a monster going around is important, but also it is fun to just be like, oh, like I wonder what the face is gonna look like as he's having this fight scene where you don't get to see it for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed that you don't really see his face until is it? Do you even see his face in the Mexican restaurant scene? No, it's not until it's this. Until Jude, the scene. hot ass thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. In the alleyway, a pimp tries to sell him an underage girl, and so Toxie beats the crap out of them. <laughs> he may not be David Bowie, but things are going to change in this town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not David Bowie. Mad Mop Monster is really a monster hero, says the newspapers. Bozo is playing the, the hit and run game once more, but the kid gets saved by Toxie, and we get a wonderful montage of him helping out around town. He helps an old lady cross the street. He helps another lady open like a jar of popcorn. Mm-hmm. This was this is this movie came out from before I was born, but I was like, is that a real way that popcorn used to be stored? Because it is such a tiny amount in the jar. It feels like it's an insane amount of popcorn to buy. Yeah, it's like two handfuls. <laughs> <laughs> why why does the who is this jar for i think i was about two when this movie maybe came out and uh, i don't remember that i don't remember yeah. ever having a little tiny jar of popcorn <laughs> in our pantry well folks out there if you had a tiny jar of popcorn in your life sound off let me hear about it love to hear about it yeah he's the people's champ though and the mayor wants him dead for it before he gets to them mm-hmm. The gang tries to give him six new assholes, which is a very funny line. (laughs) Six. (laughs) But he jumps straight up and they all shoot each other, which is one very funny line. But also I really laughed when Lloyd was talking about like, he was trying to describe what Toxie's powers are. And he goes, uh, jumping really high. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Melvin saves Sarah once again. And they're a boyfriend and girlfriend now because she can't see him. And there's a delightful montage as they fall in love and move in together. I particularly enjoyed his traffic cone hat that she can't see. (laughs) He like (laughs) doffs it to her. (laughs) They also mentioned that the eggs were a week old by the time he had to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. They don't even look real. No. <laughs> They're fucking nasty, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Julie is in the locker room when this is uh, also the contender. I know I mentioned it when he stares out at the Atlantic, but this is uh, another top contender for my favorite moment in the movie when Toxie slides out from under the bench and just screams, murderer. <laughs> <laughs> How did she not know he was there? (laughs) And he attacks her, but this time the shoe is on the other foot and he gets interrupted. Unbelievable. Yeah. Julie slips away while he covers his face from the intruder and the chase is on. And apparently this locker room leads to hell. Yes. Which is, where did Lloyd say that was like an abandoned hospital in Jersey City, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It's terrifying. Yeah. My wife actually used to work at Jersey City Medical Center, so she was familiar with the building he was talking about. She was very impressed wow. to see it in the Toxic Avenger. Sure. <laughs> There's some very famous rats in there now. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, a little like a furnace with rats and a little hidden room with a ton of human bones in there. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know what's going on in this building, but it is bad news. Yes. And he approaches her with scissors brandished. And apparently she was not actually going to die originally. And they went back in the edit and they were like, oh, shit, she should really die here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they, they filmed a couple more close ups of him brandishing the uh, scissors. And, uh, you know, you'd never tell that it wasn't in- in originally intended that way. Nope. Fooled me. Bozo is stressed that she's late with the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they beat the crap out of an old lady with a cane and Slug sings a la Clockwork Orange. One of my favorite individual lines is, did you see her face when I punched her? <laughs> Just it's the, it's the simple ones that really get me sometimes. It's tiny details of this movie are really what drive it, yeah. Absolutely, really fantastic. Yep. And Toxie emerges, and they try and run him down with the car, but he grabs a hold of it as they swerve all over. Toxie grabs a hold of Slug and throws him out of the car, then gets in with Bozo, slamming his foot down on the gas in a chase inspired by the road warrior. Mm -hmm. It's Melvin, you bastard. He says, (laughs) 
And he grabs Bozo's face as the car takes out every load-bearing item in town. <laughs> yeah. And then causes a big car crash with several explosions and uh, finally removed the wheel, sending Bozo over a cliff with the car exploding in a giant blaze. And uh, apparently the stunt driver almost died during this because the guy who installed the roll bar in the car screwed it into the floor instead of attaching it to the chassis. And so it didn't work as intended. (laughs) Safety to humans. First rule. Yep. That's right. He said uh, he said specifically that uh, he 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 never badmouths people except in this one case where someone almost killed someone. So <laughs> that guy doesn't get the benefit of yeah. not being shit talked. <laughs> that is a crazy chase and a crazy stunt. Like I've worked on a couple tr- trauma things. I can't imagine like being there for that era of trauma where the stunts were that insane. Sure, it's it's a, several explosions. Yeah, it's huge. A car explodes <laughs> like nobody does that anymore. <laughs> Out climbs Toxie, still fine, but he hunts down a very tiny and seemingly innocent old lady at a dry cleaners, putting her into the giant washer and then steaming her. <laughs> <laughs> While the proprietor fights a ticket. And apparently, this lady was so stoked because it was her first role that didn't comment on her size. Right. But then they put her in a dry cleaner. That's true. And spun her around. Look, I think she just happens to fit in that. Yep. He, w- he would have done whatever. It didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah thinks she hears Melvin, and it's played like it's actually going to be someone else, which I think is kind of funny, because she like gets really scared, and then he's like, oh, no, actually, it is me. It's yeah. Melvin. But it does also work thematically because he feels different because he doesn't know who this lady is and he thinks that he is uh, out of control now. Right. Uh, and and so he, he feels like he is the monster. So it's funny. It's, it's kind of played for laughs, but it does also work thematically. For sure. Which, I, again, you know, sort of part and parcel of the whole movie where it, it, once you really take a look at it, a lot more going on under the surface, a la Toxie himself. You got it. And he reveals himself to her to finally be the monster hero who monster mashes criminals. <laughs> and they flee together for a campsite, which, again, is very funny that it's just like a campsite in a field. <laughs> <laughs> but the police chief reveals to the mayor that Toxie's instincts were, in fact, right on. And he dry cleaned the head of the international white slavery ring. I know. I love that twist because when you're watching, you're like, oh man, he really did kill an innocent old lady. Oh my and gosh, then, Toxie. Nope. <laughs> Hor- horrible person he, get- he killed. Thank gosh. <laughs> Thank gosh he did this. When is the line, um, you can't go around dry cleaning little old lady? <laughs> is that in this scene? I believe so. Okay. Yes. That's one of my favorite lines of the movie. It's a really great one, and they say they need to destroy him while they can before people find out that she is, in fact, this uh, head of the syndicate. Yes. And so the search for Toxie is on. I love uh, the guy says, my first day on the force and I'm chasing monsters. (laughs) (laughs) And they find Toxie and Sarah, so the chief and the mayor head out there with the full force of the National Guard, but the mayor wants him captured, and the the mayor goes, capture my ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> great delivery great delivery yeah every he, he kills every line in this yeah absolutely so and staten island tanks roll out mm-hmm. which is also just like kind of a funny idea yep <laughs> but clancy the cop isn't so sure they should be doing this and neither are the rest of the people that Toxie has saved but people can't just go around doing things just because they're right he's <laughs> <laughs> but the kids disagree and out they head the military has completely surrounded Toxie's tent, and they have a bunch of onlookers as well. And Melvin's mother pleads for his life, but the mayor and the chief say, hell nah, and they aim, and they call for Toxie to come out. But the crowd, so moved by Toxie's plight, <laughs> puts themselves in front of the policeman's guns. Love it. It's beautiful, and it inspires Clancy, who inspires the National Guard leader, and everyone puts down their guns. There's the heart. That's right. Oh, man, it's a beautiful moment. It is. Except the mayor, that is. <laughs> he He's not having it. And he goes to take a shot at Toxie. And Clancy smacks his arm to stop the shot. And one of my favorite things about uh, specifically lower budget movies, I find, tends to have this. But 
just watching some of the background extras and seeing like their acting. Oh, I is love it. <laughs> so fun. This guy who's like right behind the mayor after the gun has already fired, he goes, no, no. And then he grabs his head and says, my eye. And then he lets go and still with his eyes closed, cautiously shakes his head and says, no, no, again. And it's, it's, the, it's perfect because it's not 80-yard audio or anything. It's just like the guy clearly acting on the day of. It's faint audio in the background. And it is just truly delightful. And it's the kind of thing that you don't get to see in in maybe a bigger budget movie, but I love that. I love seeing sort of uh, the the real people of it. Yeah, and that's kind of Lloyd's whole thing. I'm kind of surprised he didn't, you know, make that guy a lead actor <laughs> after that because that's that's Lloyd's shit right there. He's got a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> <laughs> the mayor won't be stopped, though, and he fires the rest of the bullets he has at Toxie to no effect. Doesn't hurt. Wonderful. Nothing. <laughs> All of this was pointless. <laughs> <laughs> we get a nice flashback of a lot of the mayhem, and then the mayor begs for his life, but Toxie rips his damn guts out, and uh, in, in a, a beautiful moment, uh, he tries to shove them back in. <laughs> 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 Officer Clancy, take care of this toxic waste, he says, as he smiles placidly at the gory corpse. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. It's such a funny moment to have this like mangled corpse in the middle of everyone as they're all cheering and celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> and Melvin and Sarah embrace after she trips, which I thought was also very funny. Always great. And everyone cheers. Woohoo! Tromaville is saved and Toxie lives to ride once more. Beautiful. Perfect. Yeah, it is perfect, isn't it? That's it. That's it. And now, Jimmy. We've reached the point where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is in fact perfect, and why it is the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. All right. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go first. The Toxic Avenger is the best horror movie ever made, even better than American Werewolf in Paris, <laughs> because, well, first of all, it has a little old lady getting dry cleaned. <laughs> That's on top of my list. That would be enough. That would be enough. That would be enough. But I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to go on. <laughs> It was shot partly in Jersey City, which is neighbor to the greatest city in America, Bayonne, New Jersey. I'll let you have it. I won't look. We're not, we won't have to get into the Philadelphia <laughs> versus Bayonne argument. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the film it has over-the-top gore, extreme violence, amazing stunts and fight uh, choreography, gratuitous nudity, which my wife also pointed out, gratuitous boob tan lines. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you. If, if you happen to notice that. Impossible not to. Impossible not to, right. While simultaneously providing huge laughs and biting satire. And at the core of the movie, there's heart. A lot of heart. There sure is. That's why it's the best horror movie ever made. Hell yeah. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is so beautiful. It's just a beautiful movie to me in terms of execution and what it represents. I think that... First of all, it is on its own very funny and very violent. And, and the, like you said, the choreography is a lot of fun. It is executing what it wants to be really, really well. And it, I think it is no surprise to me that it has become kind of an introduction to B-movies for a lot of people. But in addition to that, that quote that I said at the beginning about how Toxie is sort of maligned and beloved at the same time and how that represents trauma at large, I think is really spot on. And I think that trauma being such a long-lasting independent film studio is important. I think that trauma is very important to the film industry. And I think that this sort of being the thing that kicks off trauma as we know it is, is a landmark a landmark movie. This is a landmark movie and it is it does what it wants to do so perfectly. Like you said it is it has biting satire. It's very funny. The performances are all fantastic and it is that sort of smaller movie acting 
which it, it, it might not be right for a bigger movie, but it is perfect for the movie that it's in. Right. And uh, and I, I think it just knocks every aspect of it out of the damn park. Lloyd, you did it, you son of a gun. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, I highly encourage people to check this one out if they haven't. And, uh, and uh, that's it. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. This was an absolute blast. I encourage you to tell people where they can uh, keep up with you online. You're a, a great Twitter follow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, you have your own movie coming out. Uh, yeah, you could uh, find me on myspace.com. <laughs> uh, no, but, yeah, it's all, all serious. I, I, I just wrote a screenplay called uh, Curse of the Weird Ear, and we're shooting, as we speak, they're shooting in Tennessee. So Wow. Love that. Look out for that. It's uh, if you love the Toxic Avenger, I think you might enjoy this one at least a little bit. So I'm I am confident that I will. Uh, and so yeah, people should definitely keep an eye out for that. As far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at Little Horror PHL. That username applies pretty much everywhere. Letterbox, Instagram, Patreon. If you want to sign up for the Patreon, there's uh, just a couple bucks a month. And you got all kinds of great stuff like bonus episodes about, boy, you name it. We have uh, Resident Evil 2, uh, Freaky Friday, <laughs> We just did, Branson Reese came back and we talked about 13 of the best golden age horror shorts from 1929 to 1953. Oh, nice. So truly anything and everything gets covered on the Patreon. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, just a couple bucks a month. So if you're enjoying the show, check that out and rate and review it as well. We actually um, have been getting some very nice reviews, and so it's been really great to see. So if you haven't reviewed yet out there, what the heck are you waiting for? Get to it. (laughs) George, I love your podcast, and it has been an honor to watch the best horror movie ever made, The Toxic Avenger, with you. Very kind of you to say, and uh, I was thrilled to have you on. This is a great movie, and I was uh, stoked to dig into it with you, man. Cool. All right, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.